Welcome to the SMB Community Podcast with your hosts, Amy Babinchak, James Kernan, and Carl Polichuk. Produced by and for the Small Biz Thoughts community. We're dedicated to making every IT professional a successful IT professional. PCmatic, endpoint security built on a zero trust default deny foundation. Finally, a lightweight, simple to deploy and easy to manage approach to application allow listing. The perfect complement to your current security stack. No minimums and no annual contracts. Find out more about PCmatic by visiting pcmatic.com slash MSP today. Welcome to another SMB Community Podcast. This is Carl Polichuk, and I'm joined today by my good friend, Jeff Ponce. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Good to see you again. Yes. Well, we haven't seen each other in days. So yes. yeah, that's <laughs> uh, not usual, but yes. Jeff hadn't, Jeff and I hadn't seen each other in the real world in for like two years. And then we uh, met up at Channel Partners, which was great fun. Uh, first, let's start with your background. So you're with Datatel Solutions. You're a regional master agent. Tell us more about who you are and what you do. Um, I am founder of, of Datatel Solutions. I did that just shy of 20 years ago. See, time flies when you're having fun, right? <laughs> and, uh, and so, it, yeah, regional master agent. And when we opened the doors uh, 20 years ago, you know, there was already plenty of master agents, especially in California. And it seemed like the bigger ones were either in California or Chicago. I don't know why it happened that way, but that's the way it was. And everybody was kind of servicing the same partners. And so I decided instead of going after the same partners, there was no point, there was no point to open the doors, actually. We were. So we decided to support bars or, you know, the, the term MSP wasn't really around 20 years ago, per se. And uh, but that's the market we went after. And it was so I hired engineers that could specifically talk to them, the, the technology guys, not just, uh, you know, this on the sales side of things. And it worked out pretty well for us. It's interesting, you know, way back in the day, uh, when we installed internet, when we had it installed, we mm -hmm. literally had to create a system where people were not allowed, the installer was not allowed to leave the building until my technician could ping up someplace on the internet. And as bizarre as that sounds, people would hook up a DSU, CSU, and they would say, okay, you're good to go. And there was there was no TCP IP. There, there was, it was like, yeah, you turned a light green, but I need internet connectivity. So you need to make that happen or I'm not leaving. I'm not letting you leave the room. So uh, th there was a time when people said, you know, if, if the telephone was this difficult, uh, we would never have had telephone. Um, and now internet is super, super easy. So uh, it's, it's quite a travel, quite a journey that you've been on. Well, it is. As a matter of fact, if you look back to those days, there was a thing called a high cap, which was the equipment that they put on the wall. And, you, and it, by the way, to your point, it had a red light or a green light. Green light was good, right? And uh, if it didn't work, so the the the, uh, the uh, underlying carrier, which was usually back then Pac Bell, uh, in in our in our region in California, would uh, put it up there. And if it went down, you know, customer would call in and there was a problem, they'd go out and reset it and then go down again and then go down again and go down again. And, and we'd finally say, no, maybe you have some bad equipment there. And instead of just replacing it, they would just keep resetting, just resetting. And finally, you know, when, when 
you know, customers that kind of angry, they finally would go out and replace it. And I just never understood how they could afford to just keep sending people out to reset that thing. It would have been a lot cheaper just to replace the equipment after, say, the second or third time. Well, uh, everybody's got their SOPs. And part of it is that each person, and, and this is true even today, each person that I dealt with at AT&T or Comcast, each individual was competent, but the system was broken. <laughs> and I would agree with you. So, because I would talk to a technician and they would be like really good. And obviously they know what they're doing. They know what they're talking about, right? And then they would say, and if they would just replace that piece of equipment just down the street, but that's another story. <laughs> so, uh, so, so up to today. So last week we were in Vegas and I attended two back-to-back um, sessions on mergers and acquisitions. Well, I guess one was on mergers and acquisitions. Your session was on whether or not we've forgotten the customer. Yes. And so it's great panel, truly great panel. And it brought up the question, both the M&A one and your panel on whether or not venture capital and in particular private equity are good for our industry. And you had a very strong opinion. Uh, let's start with what's the difference between venture capital and private equity? Look, I, I, venture capital is pretty much trying to you know, they'll, they, they see they see fund a company, you know, it could be angel investors or it could be, you know, uh, venture capital money. But the goal is to kind of create a better mousetrap, right, is to, you know, it might be an existing sector or, or industry, but this there's a company that maybe wants to try to do it better. And they don't always succeed. Matter of fact, in the venture capital space, I think they're happy when they win one out of 10 times. Right. Right. I mean, so so there's a lot of failures in the middle of that. But private equity is a completely different animal. It's it's basically financial engineering. So now what they want to do is take a mature industry, an industry that's already gone through all this stuff, and, and figure out yeah we, we can be profitable and we're we're and we're uh, moving forward. But if they see money, if they can see a thirty to fifty percent return, annualized return on that on their money, they want to be there. And who are the folks who? invest in private equity, right? Right. They're the, you know, institutional guys, you know, the, all the big pension funds and, uh, you know, the private equity, not the private equity guys, excuse me, but the um, um, hedge fund guys, accredited investors, it can be smaller guys too, that they, they pool their money. Right. Right. Um, but those are the people who go in and, and the, and the, and the big houses who are the big private equity houses say, we're going to make you 30 to 50% of your money, and we're going to get you in and out in a three to five, three to six year period. So 30 to 50% in five years or 30 to 50% annualized, annualized per year. Yes. So that's a little bit on the ridiculous side. It is. It is on the ridiculous side. So you've owned businesses. I've owned businesses. How do you force a business to make 30%? Well, you know, you're hoping, you know, because a lot of times private equity firms have a lot of different companies, you know, and, and, and under their under their management. Now, I'll, I'll give you an example, and I'm not going to throw names out, but a, a telco that I've done a lot of business with um, was also uh, is also in the same suite as a, of companies as they collaborate with a collaboration suite. So they're hoping that they can kind of, you know, marry these companies together and there might be some synergies and they can do some kind of growth there. But the app, but the growth hasn't been there. Matter of fact, over the last decade, uh, Wall Street Journal said the, 
the returns for private equity haven't even come close, by the way, to what the the guys making the fees, right? The, the guys That's making the fees are the ones who bundle all this stuff together. The, 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 uh, the money hasn't been there, not the 30 to 50% returns as they promised. So, but private equity, you know, there it's it's neither good nor bad. You know, it's a, like I said, it's financial engineering. And when you're when you're not making the numbers, what are you gonna do? You know, you're well, you're going to look for the places you can. You know, you might sell real estate if the company owns real estate, you're gonna lay people off. That's kind of a that's kind of the standard. And I'll give you a really good example of why this isn't good for the customer, since that's what we're talking about. So, you know, in my world, in the teleco world, a really good provisioning person, you know, or, um, you know, you, you sell an order and that person take, he or she takes that order and takes it from moving the customer services from one, one carrier to the carrier that they work for, making sure everybody's happy, making sure everything's going well, they've canceled the old services, just all the detail stuff. A good one can handle 30 to 40 uh, customers at a time in, in, in a monthly basis. I've been talking to companies that have over a hundred <laughs> files on a given provisioner's desk right now. So you can take the best of the best. You put that kind of stress on them and that kind of workload, things start falling apart, right? I see a lot of companies offshoring service delivery and not, not just offshoring to their own people like employees in other countries, but offshoring to third party companies. And that's been a disaster also. So no, so, but that's all, that's all saving money, right? That's how, right. how do we, you know, that's the number one thing people love to do is, you know, is the cut costs is, is get, is layoff right. employees. Well, and uh, so on the panel that you were on, so uh, Dave Dyson, I think introduced the topic, <laughs> the topic of love. And I really, I really enjoyed that because uh, everybody in the room knew what he was talking about, right? That, we, the last mile, provide the love. And if we don't provide it, I assure you, AT&T and Comcast will not. <laughs> uh, and then you and others jumped in on that and, and were like, look, this is what they do. This, like, they are who they are. They haven't changed forever. I asked the question of, uh, well, can automation, you know, uh, can AI, can you have artificially intelligent love? Uh, will that work? Uh, and do you think there's no hope for the for them to ever come around? Look, I haven't seen it uh, yet, so uh, never never is a, a, a strong word. So <laughs> I I always hope, but they don't they don't like to give us access to their back office, which is really what that's doing. That's giving us the API so we can have have a view into you know where the orders are and actually have participation in that process. And that participation, we're not employees of theirs. We're we're uh, we're agents, you know, in my world in particular, we're, we're, we're agents. So do they want to give us access to those tools? I mean, you know, we rarely are able or given access to say their customer has SD-WAN. We don't have access to make any changes on that SD-WAN box uh, whatsoever. We just have to take what they do and, and they, they'll work with the customer to make any changes, but we don't have access to that. Dave has used that term, uh, give the customer love, by the way, for a long, long time. I've heard him saying that for more than a decade. Oh, yeah. And every time he says that, I, well, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and the audience laughs. 
Yeah, <laughs> it, it's true in, in, in his case, right? So he runs his own shop and he has a few employees and that is his culture, right? Is take care of the customer. So he was the right and fitting person to have, have up there. So, and uh, you invited me to a, a meeting, kind of a private meeting. And one of the conversations that happened there was people talking about how most often the reason that you lose a client uh, uh, for telecom anyway, is just pure neglect. It is true. How can that happen if we're the people who give the love? Right. Well, there's, there, there, there's two ways. One is I could, I'm a master agent. So I'm just that facilitator. I don't own that customer. That customer is owned by one, uh, you know, one of our, of our MSP partners. If they're not looking out after their customer, and the vendor, by the way, isn't looking looking out at the customer. It's a it's a big struggle for us. We don't have that view now. If I had that view, that'd be a different animal, right? I, I could actually build a company around customer care. Um, you know, if I had to go back, if, if you if you ask uh, uh, the twenty year ago Jeff, you know, or if I could talk to 20, 20 year ago Jeff, I would have told myself to become an aggregator, an actual carrier of services instead of being an agent, because I've, I could have controlled that narrative for the customer. Today, I can't control that narrative. So if our partner isn't having those quarterly meetings with their customer, and the vendor is not having those quarterly or monthly meetings with the customer, they get lost in the shuffle. Now, again, that's part of that whole private equity thing is that, you know, you, know, you got an account manager at a carrier or any vendor, Many of these guys now, they have way too many files on their desk. They're trying to service right. way, way too many customers. And on top of that, you, they don't put their best of best at that account manager position. They, they reserve that for outside sales. The inside sales people generally have a turnover of basically 100%. <laughs> so, you, so the customer's not getting the continuity they need or the trained uh, personnel to service those accounts. Right. Well, and you and I know after many years that Turnover of employees is a really great surrogate measure of bad culture. This is true. <laughs> it's like you have to really abuse people to make them change their job, right? Because people will stick with a bad job for a long, long time uh, after it goes bad. Um, but there is a point where you, you literally push them out the door. So, so there's this layer, right? So there's, I guess, a, there's the reseller. And then there's you, the, the regional master agent, and then there are aggregators, and then there's the big, big companies. Right. Um, it sounds like the actual providers, the AT&Ts and, and Comcast of the world, give you just enough food to keep you alive. You know, they pay us, actually, it's not bad, Carl. I mean, we get roughly 20% of the customer's bill to take care of the customer. It, it's not bad. And by the way, if they did a good job, It'd be 5%, just so you know. <laughs> so they have to give you more because they, they, they are, they're not, they don't think of themselves as outsourcing to you, but that's what they're doing. They're basically yeah. ignoring the job. So you have to do it. We, we are an un, we, we, you know, we're not salaried, right? So we only, we're only paid when we produce. So from a cost perspective, it, you know, the channel is a pretty good thing, right? Right. You know, they, you know, but uh but they don't um, they give us access to the tools that we really need to manage a customer. That, that, is, that is the problem. 
you know, and, and there's going to be good and bad at everything. I mean, you, you've been in this space for a long time. There's really good MSPs and there's MSPs that aren't so good. Right. right. And, and the ones that are really good flourish and add customers and they do their thing. And the ones that don't, you know, scratch our head and don't understand why they're not growing. Right. Well, it's interesting. So the probably at least 10 years and maybe longer than that, the big trend has been disintermediation, right? That Microsoft wants to get rid of, get the partner out of the equation so that they can keep all the money. And Dell wants to sell direct so that they can keep all the money. And right, everybody wants to get rid of the middleman. And what I do for a living is I'm the middleman, right? You are a middleman, right? right. So, so they've been trying to get rid of us, but in, in telco, it sounds like they're only willing to do so much to get rid of you. They, they literally, and I, I, would, I don't want to say that they're lazy, but their model works so well for them. And why is that? Like, why don't they want to push the extra mile? Because they like controlling the world and, you know, they, they control it now, they control the narrative and they control what's paid out. You know, in, for the big guys, you're talking about the at and Verizons, we're a rounding error. <laughs> Right. There are vendors, you know, in, 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 you know, in that aggregation space where there's actually some that we are 100 percent of the revenue. So they listen to us. But you go to that size you know, of a company, we are a rounding error to them. So so you um, make the argument that private equity has done nothing good for us. That's correct. Uh, and why is that? Like, why, why is it so bad for us to, to be aggregated in this way? Well, it, it wouldn't be if the focus was on the customer, by the way. So like I said, you know, there's, there's nothing evil about private equity. I, I don't want to say they're evil, just how the mechanism ends up working. Because again, this is all about return for the investor. How much return, it has nothing to do with the customer. So if they can service the customer for less money, they're going to do it if they can do it with less employees. So, so is this it. a new thing? Because AT and T's been around for over a hundred years, right? Well, so, right. But we've seen a lot of acquisitions, right? I mean, a lot of companies get acquired. I mean, what, look. I mean, how many acquires is Microsoft and Dell and and Cisco acquired, right? Acquisitions a big, a whole different animal than than you know financial engineering. You know, putting money into these companies are actually not adding net new. Uh, money, just trying to give them a little bit to grow and also letting these owners take some money off the top, right? A lot of these owners have never really taken any real money out of the company. But what I can tell you, just in my little space, and it's kind of interesting how I think private equity guys see a sector, one goes in and then they all follow. Right. And I don't, I don't think, and it's for right or wrong, by the way, we think everybody's the, they must be the smartest guys in the world to think that our, our, our little sector here is, is going to grow uh, tremendously. I well, but I've, I've seen it literally with dentists and with uh, dry cleaners. I mean, private equity is there are, it's, it's almost like a real estate investment trust, right? There, there are these like private equity, whatever, small business trusts, and they yeah. get a bunch of money and then they go buy a sector and invest in it. And, and so is this, is this extra money not pushing innovation? I always think of yeah. like, what's of money equals it's innovation not. and newness? Yeah. That Well, venture capital does that, but private equity really does not do that. Um, in the last 18 months, over $750 million has come into the master agent space. Think about that, not telecom, just the master agent space. 
So what are the master agents doing with that money, right? So first of all, the, you know, the private equity guys are coming in, they're, they're giving the owners, the, you know, the founders of these companies some money. And, so, and, and they're, again, they're able to take some money off the table, put it in the bank, pay just big, big, horrible tax bills for the year. And, uh, and, uh, um, and then work to add on net new, new players. So I have had a whole, how many, in the last six months, I've had three different uh, companies who I've known a long, long time, by the way, I've known the founders for a long time who have been, uh, I hate using the word bot because they would never want to use that word, but I, well, I don't know what else to say because the private equity guys are taking probably at least 51% of the uh, value of these companies, right? But I will never know because this is all private. Right. So I, I, I won't I won't know that exact number, but I'm going to say it's probably 51 percent or more. And they're trying to acquire companies like mine. Which would just but there's net no growth from that. They're just taking my book and moving it over to them. Right. So that's that's not so there's no growth there. There's no organic growth from that. That's just acquiring an existing book of business. That's why I think there's no organic growth with that. And eventually, if there's no organic growth, those private equity guys are going to say, yeah, this isn't working out. So they start executing those dissolution clauses and the things that they put in these contracts to. Uh, and what does that do? Well, it, it can literally in the in the agreements and, and they can sell off the companies, you know, you know, the bits and pieces that are left over. And I think in a lot of the places, I think that the, the uh, agent, the agent is going to get hurt in, in, in those scenarios. So, all right. So here's a question you may not have an answer to. So what do you do about it? <laughs> what does the small reseller or, or agent do? Well, I, I think, look, I, you know, I've, I've been on the, uh, uh, the phone with a uh, pretty sharp lawyer, long, long time uh, telecom lawyer of recent, and he's almost switched most of his practice now to helping companies who are getting purchased by private private equity firms, these, these kind of deals, right? The big guys buying the smaller regional guys. Because what the problem with this is, and it, it, you know, it's kind of an old adage, right? So they, they will go and uh, they'll put an offer on the table and all of a sudden some owner who's owned this thing, he's in his mid fifties, maybe 60, all of a sudden somebody puts a couple million dollar check in, uh, right in front of him and slides it across the table. And I, I know that sounds very like in the movies. <laughs> yeah, like a movie, right? But but it happens, right? And so you're looking at that going, man, this might not be the best bill deal downstream, but I could take that money and put that in the bank for my retirement because I haven't done a good job with that. I put kept putting my money back into the business all these years, right? Right. And so that does happen. But what this lawyer, uh, a friend of mine, I've known him for over 20 years. So uh he told me he, he, the, the, the contracts he's seen are, are very evil. I mean, there'll be like five ways that they can stop paying them. Because usually there's, there's a money, on, there's, a, there's, a, there's a check they write them right off the top. You know, the, Then there is a recurring part of that. And it's not really usually an earnout, but they got to run towards a number you know, to, in order to keep their, their residual levels the way right. that they are. And if you don't, you know, the, you know, the amount you get keeps going down, it can go down to zero. But he's told me there's there's even clauses in some of the contracts he's seen where they can actually get the money back, the upfront monies. Oh, and I uh, can't even count on that. Yeah. And he even told me that one of the private equity guys, he was working, he was help trying to help a seller. 
And the buyer, the private equity firm said, we're not going to move forward with you unless you go get a new lawyer. Because they didn't like his lawyer and his lawyer was saying, you're going to get hurt. This right. is not good. And he, he pointed out five different ways that you're going to get hurt in this. <laughs> uh, so, so, um, so, and they're not all like it, right? And I, so I, I'm not trying to put a blanket. I'm just saying, I'm trying to give you some of the ugly. People can negotiate good deals, right? right. If you have the right team behind you. Um, and I'm only talking from my side of the fence. I'm sure there are very good attorneys on the MSP side, on the acquisition side and whatnot. Right. But most of the MSP acquisitions I've seen so far, the people that I know have been MSP to MSP. I haven't seen a lot of private equity uh, uh, companies, but I know it, I know it's there. I mean, you had a speaker, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago that uh, spoke to that, so I know it, it right. exists. Well, the other thing is that there's a there's a threshold. Everybody's got a threshold above which they will have a conversation, and below yeah. which they're not interested. So, right. you know, uh, that's just the reality of the world. So, let me just take a, a super quick break and make sure people have your your uh, website. So, it's Datatel Solutions. Is it dot com? It is datatelsolutions.com. And so, if you want to get involved with a uh, a regional master agent who is uh, a nice guy honest, forthright, and all that, uh, been around for 20 years and doing the right thing, get in touch with Jeff. Um, so we're, we're almost out of time, but I do want to ask you, uh, is there something that a, an MSP or a small agent can do like day to day to just sort of protect their investment and, and sort of survive? Because this private equity stuff isn't going to go away anytime soon unless the entire industry becomes unprofitable. And I don't see that happening. You know, the, the um, I think the number one thing you need to do is you got to spend some time with a lawyer, have them going through agreements. I hate to say that. I know it's an expense and, you know, your lawyers charge crazy amounts of money and I get it, but it's money well spent up front and make sure they specialize in whatever it is you're trying to do, whether if you're trying to acquire or be acquired, if you're trying to uh, be an agent, don't don't. Don't just sign an agency agreement because some 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 uh, master agent has three thousand existing agents. You know, assuming everybody looked at it and everybody read it, uh, I can tell you the vast majority of the people that, who I've sent my contract to don't read it. They they literally will sign it and send it back a half an hour later. Right, and that makes me that, that frightens me. And those are MSPs, by the way. So these are you know our brethren. These are you know people that I think are fairly sharp, but. They don't read the agreement, uh, and um, and you need to you need to go through it. You know, I, I think the mat, I think the MSP model is a pretty good one, right? Most MSPs, you know, build a customer, right? And so I think in that world, I think that you're pretty safe, right? You know, he who controls the money controls everything, right? Right. Yeah, but I want to dig the credit card so that I own the customer. Yeah. So I would say go through your agreements and go through them often. Don't just leave them, review them every few years and things change in the world. But so I know I always use the insurance company as my example. I get a three quarter inch thick thing from my insurance company and I browse through it in case there's anything interesting, but I, I, I can't read it. Like I know every word, I understand every word in there, but I don't, when you put them all together, <laughs> my understanding fades very quickly, you know? And, and so I can't say that I understand my insurance policy. So what I do is when something goes wrong, I call my insurance agent and say, 
am I covered for this? Or what do I have to do to get this right? I, I, at some point you have to work with people you trust and, you know, like I would trust you and probably not read your agreement, but I don't know that I would trust somebody else. Right. And it's partly you and I have known each other for whatever, 15 years. (laughs) Yeah. um, But, but in our world, we don't have that, you know, yeah. We don't have an unbiased person, right. You know, there's, it's a contract. The good news is they're fairly simple, not too many pages, right? Most agency uh, contracts that I've seen, if, if you see a 50 page agency agreement, just run. Don't even, don't. <laughs> you don't have to read it. Just, just tear it up. But the, all, the other thing is, is to diversify. You don't have to put all your eggs in one basket. You don't, you know, you, you know, the average, I would say most agents that, that I'd say that are pretty good at what they do, they probably have relationships with five different master agents. Right. Well, and that makes sense because not everybody serves everybody else. That's the thing we haven't really touched on. At the highest level, these organizations don't compete with each other. That is correct. AT&T and Verizon and so forth. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but they, they, I don't know, probably when was the big breakup in the 80s when they broke up AT&T? It was. It was. So they've been morphing together and breaking apart and recombining since then. It is a way of life for them. The the, the biggest um, flow of money I've ever seen in the telecom happened in 1996 when there was the big telecom act. That that is really when everything was broken up. That's when the CLEC industry all launched. And look, there's there's not even a CLEC left, by the way, just so you know. I mean, there might be, you know, in the technical standpoint, there was not one says I'm a CLEC. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. And that was a big industry. Well, and, you know, the, the terminology is different enough. Uh, at, at the Channel Partner Show, they have the telco side of the world, and then they have the MSP side of the world. And uh, I don't know if it was you or somebody. Somebody was telling me that one of the telecom guys wandered into the uh, MSP summit and was complaining, like, I don't understand what you're talking about. I don't understand these words that you use. I don't understand your terminology. Uh, and it kind of goes both ways, you know, that, that we do have a specialty uh, that we focus on and that's how we make money. But I would actually say that the MSP side has way more value to the carrier long-term than the traditional telecom agent. The traditional telecom agent is a sales guy. They're very good sales guys. They'll knock doors down where a lot of MSPs kind of struggle with that. But the MSP really understands the business side of their customers. They've done a better job. There's, you know, that's something you talk about all the time, right? Is, you know, know thy customer, you know, how do you fit in with them? And do you, do you understand how they work as a business? I don't think most telecom agents have taken the time to do that. Um, but also, if you look at a lot of the carriers, they're becoming MSPs. So the telecom agent will become, stay as an agent. It'll just be an, under a vendor, you know, for, from a legal standpoint, they'll be an agent. They're not going to carry the paper or anything like that. But they can knock those doors down, can keep knocking those doors down and selling those products. They'll just be under big companies that aren't, you know, locally, you know, representing the customer. They're just kind of big companies that you just call customer care when you got a problem and right. nobody shows up at your well, door. Telcom has been saying they're going to become MSPs and eat our lunch for the 20 years you've been in business. <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't ever I don't see how they're going to eat their lunch because they don't do things at a localized area uh, way. But from a, a, a service offering, because I know I was trying to get you to one meeting, it didn't work. I wanted to see the offerings of one of one of my vendors, and you'll say, "Well, that's an MSP." Right. Very cool. Well, Jeff Ponce from Datatel Solutions, thanks for being here today, and with luck, we will see you again. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the SMB Community Podcast. If you found this useful, interesting, or fun, please subscribe, share with your friends, and give us a thumbs up on your favorite social media. Please check out the show notes at smbcommunitypodcast.com and give us your feedback.